All right, good morning. As we turn our attention to God's Word, uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll know we're in the middle of a teaching series called The Next Chapter. That there are seasons, there are turning points, there are catalyst moments in our lives where God says, something's about to change. And seldom do we get a clear description of what is going to change. So we're not here to say, this is God's next chapter for you. But rather, we're here to encourage a posture of receptivity to whatever it is that God brings. We want to be a people who are so attuned to what the Spirit's doing in our lives that we're ready that when God says, I'm going to move now, we're ready to move with Him. We want to be a people who are embracing what God is about to do in our lives. So if you've been with us the last three weeks, there is a fair accusation that you can lay against me. Tim, you've been misleading us. I'm shocked. How dare you? It is possible that if you've been paying attention for the last three weeks, you could come away with a sense of being misled as we head into this next chapter kind of language with God. For example, we started week one with Abraham, the old guy. And we learned it's never too late for God to begin the next chapter. 75 years old when God said, Abram, let's do this. Then the next week, we said, Mary. Oh, and we learned that it's never too young. You're never too young to be part of what God is doing. And then last week, if you were here, we studied Moses and we saw that even our inadequacy, perceived or real, is no match for God's love working through us. So how are we being misled, Tim? Well, I'm glad you asked. You are being misled because this presents an incomplete view of the whole idea of the next chapter. This says, God is about to do something amazing in your midst. So get ready for it. Get set. It's going to be incredible. So it doesn't matter if you're old, young, or feeling insecure. Here it comes. God is about to do something amazing that will make the foundations of the earth tremble. But that assumes that all of these next chapters involve pom-poms and little cheers. That assumes that whatever God is going to do, it is going to bring health and wealth and prosperity and blessing. What happens when the next chapter is hard? What we have been teaching so far is not actually misleading. The Scripture is filled with examples of when God is about to do something amazing, you hang on tight. But it is an incomplete teaching unless we also go here that says so often throughout the Scriptures, the next chapter is not the, the, the subject for which there are cheerleaders, but rather the place of hard loneliness and despair and hopelessness. And how do the people of God respond then? What does it mean as followers of Jesus to know that the next chapter that's coming is going to be hard? One of the things I love about Community Church is that we are not just cheerleaders. We don't just come in and celebrate Jesus 
Put on a happy face because everything's going to be okay. We are not the grin again gang who gets gung-ho about Jesus. We don't smile sweetly, Susan, so you send Satan sadly away. We're not encouraging you to buck up Brother Bill because a bunch of bitter boys became a bunch of better boys behind a big, big smile. I love our church because it's real. And we don't hide from the hard. Hard is part of life. And so we are forced to confront the hard because the Scriptures confront the hard and we need to figure out what do we do with our lives as followers of Jesus, not just in the shiny happy places, but in the darkest and hardest places too. And so this morning we're going to look at a fella named Joseph. And the challenge this morning is that we're going to be teaching 14 chapters of the Bible all in one sitting. I would say turn in your Bibles and we're going to spend the next 45 minutes reading 14 chapters. You know what? Too much. Let me sum up. We are going to excerpt snapshots of Joseph's life to highlight the fact that here is a guy whose next chapter was very rarely cheerleader material. Here is a guy who said, my next chapter, as far as I can see it, is hopeless. And this sermon series has been planned for months, and this topic has been planned for this day. But you've got to see, looking around the community, that as much as we celebrate new life, the Gordon community is being rocked this week. The adventure programming community is lost rich. I mean, there are people in our church who have passed away, and it has been hard. There are marriages in our church that are struggling. Parents who are at the end of their wits trying to figure out how to raise children. There are single people who are struggling with loneliness and saying, what does it mean to be part of a church family? There are people who have lost their jobs. There are people, there's just, there is so much out there that is so real. And I am convinced that church is the place we come to deal with what is real, not just to pretend everything is okay. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you to come with me through what will probably feel like a whirlwind tour of Joseph's life. But in so doing, I believe the Lord has a word for a church that's willing to be real. And a church that's willing to be in the hard place. So I'm going to take us through three sort of snapshots of Joseph's life. Here comes the first one. When we say sometimes the next chapter is hard. What do we mean by that? Well, some of you may have background in, with Joseph's story. Fairly popular Sunday school story. So if you grow up in church uh, and you're my age or older, you remember the flannel graphs. You remember Joseph, the guy with the amazing Technicolor dream coat. You know that he was one of like a bajillion sons. And, well, let's look at how Joseph's story begins. In Genesis chapter 37, Starting in verse 3, we see now Israel, that's Jacob, whose name got changed. It's a whole Old Testament thing. People's names get changed all the time. Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And they could not speak a kind word. This is an intriguing beginning to a story because this is not Joseph's fault, right? His dad is playing favorites 
parenting fail. And there's nothing Joseph can do about that. Right? His dad is, is showing him, makes him this special robe. Nobody else got a special ornate technicolor robe. His dad is playing favorites, and that creates enmity within his family, and his brothers hate him because he's receiving so much positive attention from his father. There are times when the next chapter that's coming, you're saying, and I have no control over this. It's based on other people and the way they're treating me, the way people are treating each other. I have no control over this next chapter. It's not my fault that this next chapter is going to be hard. Unless, of course, it's totally his fault. Because then Joseph has some dreams. And he dreams about these stalks of wheat. And they're all gathered around this one stalk of wheat. And all the other stalks of wheat bow down to him. And he says, hey brothers, you guys are all going to bow down to me one day. So it's not enough, Joseph, that they already hate you. His brothers respond to him telling them this dream. And in verse 8 they say, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us as if? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. So it may not have started out as his fault, but it pretty much ended up his fault. He even has a second dream where there's stars involved and they're all bowing down. And, and even after this response, he's like, hey fellas, had another dream. And you're all still going to bow down to me. Like he's just pouring fuel on a fire and creating massive family dysfunction. So what, what happens? What is Joseph's next chapter here? If you're familiar with the story, uh, we're going to sort of one, two, skip a few on our way through it. But the, the brothers are not happy. And so they make a plot to kill him. And they're held back from that a little bit. So instead, they throw him into a cistern, a big pit to hold water. Uh, some slavers come along, so they sell him off into slavery. Then they take his robe and kill an animal and put blood all over it. They fake his death, so he goes back to Jacob, and they go back to Jacob with the robe. They say, oh, and Jacob says, my son is dead. So there's not even like a, a rescue party going out for him or anything. He's presumed dead. And then these slavers sell him into permanent slavery in the land of Egypt. A plot to kill him, throw him in a pit, sell him off to slavers, fake his death, and sold into permanent slavery. How's your next chapter, Joseph? And in this moment, I'm forced to ask the question, how would I respond to that? Not well. This is the criteria by which you have been given permission to curl up in a corner, curse God, and die. The human natural response is, wait, I thought you were supposed to bless me, Lord. I thought that following you was going to be part of my journey towards healing and wholeness. And, and what do you mean I've been sold off into slavery? My father thinks I'm dead and I have no more hope. Maybe you're already resonating with that feeling. Of saying whatever the circumstances are, whether they were out of your control or whether you had a hand in creating them. There comes a time where we're just, we just say, I just want to curl up in the corner, curse God, and die. What's really fascinating is how the Bible describes what happens next. Because by, the, by chapter 39, Joseph is now a slave in the house of an Egyptian captain of the guard named Potiphar. And by verse 2 of chapter 39, we find these words. 
and the Lord was with Joseph. I find those words moving. I'm thankful the order wasn't reversed. So Joseph stayed true to the Lord. This is all about God's initiative, God's faithfulness, God's presence, even in the hard places. The Lord is with Joseph. Joseph might have been missing his dad, missing his family, missing his country, missing his people, missing everything about his former life. And he had every right to curl up and die. Except that the Lord was with And maybe he had the right even to say, I'm allowed to be bitter. I've had a hard deal given to me. I, I'm going to just... I'm going to feed that bitterness. I'm going to allow that bitterness to, be, to take root in my life. I'm going to fold my arms and be a really lousy slave because, because this is unfair. But the weird thing is, Joseph didn't do that. In response to the Lord being with Joseph, we see that Joseph was prospering, and even his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. The Lord doesn't give success when you're not doing anything. Joseph engaged. He began to serve. He began to take everything he did, whether he ate or drank or whatever he did, he did it all to the glory of God. And the Lord blessed Joseph and brought prosperity to the household of this Egyptian dude because of Joseph. The craziest thing. In the hardest place, God brings blessing. Because the Lord is there. The Lord gave him success in everything. And Potiphar, his, the slave owner, put him in charge of his whole household entrusted his care to everything he owned. So this is the phrase we need to just grab onto and hold onto for dear life. The Lord was with Joseph. It is God's initiative to be present in the hard places. And whether you feel like chatting with Him or not, whether you feel like you've been wronged by Him or not, whether you feel like you've been wronged by everybody, or whether the world is just a dark, hard place, we see in Scripture the Lord is there. That is the beginning of hope. When the circumstances around you seem hope, the word hope doesn't show up in this text, but the idea of hope is everywhere. That even in the dark places, Joseph put his hope in the Lord. Do you see what I mean when I'm saying sometimes the next chapter is hard? Like really hard. And I can stop right there if the text stopped right there, but it doesn't. Sometimes the next sharp chapter is even harder still. Sometimes the next chapter gets even harder still. So now we turn to our story to the second snapshot. The second movement of this next chapter of Joseph's life. And we find Joseph is now second in command in this whole household, right? He's running everything. Now he's still property at this point in time. He still has no legal um, writes, he, he's still completely at the whim and at the mercy of his owner. 
which is why it's a problem by the time you get to chapter 29, 39, verse 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Well, he had that going for him. But after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, come to bed with me. So this is what we call a no-win situation. Because if he gives in to this kind of temptation, he will incur the wrath of his owner. And if he doesn't give in to this temptation, if he resists it and chooses the path of integrity, he incurs the wrath of his owner's wife. Neither of those is a good choice. So what does he do? He refuses. With me in charge, he told her in verse 8, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, my lady, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? Oh, what an interesting switch of words. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? The whole experience is framed by God's very presence with him. There's no other options here. He is aware that the Lord is with him. He has received the prosperity, sort of, that comes from God, even though he's still a slave and property. But when presented with a no-win situation, I'm either going to make this person angry or I'm going to make this person angry, he says, what I really don't want him to do is make that God angry. And that makes the whole decision-making process a piece of cake. Sort of. Because she is now a woman scorned. And so, though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And then there's this episode where she catches him alone. So she grabs him and says, come to bed with me! And he flees, like literally. She's holding on to his cloak, so he does one of those quick moves. He's like, slips out of his cloak and runs. Which is a good plan when sin presents itself. Get out of your coat and run. But she holds on to his coat and she uses that as evidence against him. She makes up the story and says to her husband, your man tried to take advantage of me. Look, I still have his coat from when he ran away when I screamed. So when his master hears this story that his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and threw him in prison. The very place where the king's own prisoners were confined. It's not like the last chapter wasn't hard enough for Joseph. But now, he's been thrown into the king's own prison where the king's very special guests get to go. Where where would your heart be in that situation? I think there's a large part of me that would not have survived the first chapter of the hard, the hard place. But now here's the second chapter of the hard place. And I think my heart would say, are you seriously kidding me right now, God? Are you having fun yet? Why are you doing this to me? I just made, got to the place of it was tolerable to get through each day. And now I'm covered in fleas and lice and I'm dirty and I'm in a prison cell. Once again, I would probably 
There are very few people in the Bible that I think are in the same sort of category as him as having the right to curl up in a corner, or curse God, and die. So how does the Bible describe what happens next? It's crazy. You're not even going to see it coming. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Now maybe God can be with him because he's still in a household with Potiphar and he can redeem that bad situation. But now he's in prison. It was, it was a dark place before. Now there's no light at all. This is the hardest place. And where is God when we find ourselves in the hardest place? He's right there. So the Lord shows him kindness. And Joseph somehow even received it as kindness from his prison cell. And he granted him favor in the eyes of the warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those that were held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. That says to me that Joseph did not curl up into a ball and die. But rather, whatever he, his hand found to do, whether he ate or drank, he did it all to the glory of God. Even in the hardest places, he knew the Lord was with him. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So wait, 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 Tim. They plotted to kill him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him off to slavers. They faked his death. They sold him into permanent slavery in Egypt. Right? That's bad. But then he was put into this impossible no-win situation. He was falsely accused. He was denied any due process, like no legal system or anything like that that we might appeal to. He was thrown into prison. And in all of this, there are no cheerleaders. There are no pom-poms. There's no confetti. No one is saying, get ready, because here comes the next chapter. It's going to be amazing. Joseph is being kicked in the teeth again and again. And yet, the Lord is with Joseph. Even there, Joseph found hope. That's what I mean. This, this story blows me away. Right? We said sometimes the next chapter is hard. Sometimes the next chapter is even harder. And I would love to say, and then everything went great from jo for Joseph from that point forward. But if you know the story, it doesn't. Sometimes the next chapter is even harder still. Sometimes these next chapters come chapter after chapter after chapter and it is relentless. And you say, maybe I could have survived one chapter that was hard. Maybe the second chapter, you know, some people surrounded me and helped me survive when my strength ran out. But the third hard chapter in a row, I'm done. What happens to Joseph next? Well, he's in prison and there's this baker and this cupbearer who incurred the wrath of Pharaoh as well. And they have these dreams. And, and this is kind of amusing to me. When Joseph came to these guys the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. I'm sorry. I would have been curled up in a corner cursing God and just waiting to die. But he sees that they're dejected. And so he asks Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? 
Not my typical, not anyone's typical response when languishing in prison. You don't care about other people when you're languishing in prison. All you can see is the injustices that have fallen upon you. Joseph is thinking of other people. He sees their distress. And they answer, well, we kind of both had dreams, but there was no one to interpret them. And Joseph doesn't say, I got you. I'm a dream guy, it turns out. But what he does say is, do not interpretations belong to God? The presence of the Lord saturates this whole story. And, and Joseph is able to keep the Lord in his sights throughout the whole thing. So he says, tell me your dreams. So he tells him the dreams, and the baker's dream does not go well. Turns out the baker's going to get his head lopped off. The cupbearer, though, the dream means that he's going to be restored to his position, and he's going to have Pharaoh's ear again. So Joseph, having interpreted these dreams by the power of the Spirit, says to this cupbearer guy, but remember, when all goes well with you, remember me. <laughs> Show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. So even here, we have to be reminded that Joseph is not just being content with everything from the Lord's hand. He's very aware that he's in prison. He is not pleased to be in prison. And here he's got a shot. The Lord has communicated to him the cupbearer is going to be restored. He's going to have Pharaoh's ear. There's a chance that then he could say, hey Pharaoh, by the way, there's this guy in prison. You should spring him. And so you say, oh, that's going to be amazing. He says, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. This is why I'm saying it's real. He doesn't just pretend none of that's there. He still remembers the wrongs committed against him as he was sold into slavery. He still remembers the wrongs committed against him and the hard place of being put in a dungeon and falsely accused. And he says, and even here, I've done nothing to deserve So, the cupbearer is restored to Pharaoh. Pharaoh comes back and the cupbearer says, there's this guy named Joe. Actually, he doesn't do that at all. In Genesis 40, verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him for two years. Two additional years of languishing in a flea-infested prison. Two additional years of being denied simple human dignity and rights. Two full years of waiting, wishing that this guy would just put in a good word for him and being betrayed. So wait, what you're saying, Tim, is this. There's a plot to kill him, throw him in a pit, sell him off to slaves, fake his death, sold him to permanent slavery. Chapter 1, that's hard. Then chapter 2 comes along and we see that Joseph is in an impossible situation, falsely accused, denied due process, and thrown wrongly into prison. And you say, that's even harder. But now he's languishing in prison and he has been abandoned and he's been forgotten. And now it's just personal. And he's forgotten for years. This is harder still. Have you given up yet? Have you given up on God yet? Have you said, enough is enough? I don't like this story. 
I don't like these chapters you keep giving me. I, I, I won't even turn the page. I'm scared to death of what's on the next page. But how does the Bible describe what happens next? Well, if we fast forward a little bit, from the time Joseph is sold into slavery to the time he does get out of prison, 13 years of hard chapters go by. Eventually, the cupbearer does remember Joseph because Pharaoh has a dream. And he's like, I know a guy. He just happens to be in prison though. So they spring Joseph. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. There's going to be like seven years of famine. Oh, sorry, seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. So we have seven years to get ready for this incredible hardship that's going to come across the entire country. And the Pharaoh says, I'm going to keep you around, Joseph. You've got a skill set that I need. He puts Joseph, guess what? Second in command of the entire country of Egypt. And it isn't long before the seven years of plenty are over. It isn't long before another additional two years of famine come along. And Jacob and all of his brothers are out of food. And what do they do? But they come to Egypt to beg for grain. And who's in charge of all the grain? Joseph. And suddenly all these sheaves of wheat are all bowing down to the one sheaf of wheat. All the stars are all bowing down to the one star. And, and those dreams that were really annoying and that got him into so much hot water with his brothers, they all came true. And here's the moment where Joseph should have been like, I schooled you! Like this is where Joseph has his vindication moment. This is the time where Joseph can say, you all hated me. And look who's in power now. I might have done that. And he does mess with them a little bit. But in the end, by Genesis chapter 45, we see, and Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Remember you sold me into Egypt? Just let me jog your memory. And then he says to them, do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Full stop. What are you... I would be saying, you should be angry with yourselves for selling me. And here's me getting you back. No grain for you. But instead, remember how the Lord was with Joseph? And he was able to see the Lord's presence in every step of his journey. And now here in his moment of vindication, when he could hold it over them, he says, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you to this place. Joseph explains, for two years now, there's been famine in the land. In the next five years, there's still going to be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your life by a great deliverance. In the hardest places, Joseph sees God's hand at work. Chapter after chapter after ch 13 years of being afraid to turn the page. And he says at the end of it all, the Lord was at work here. And I see it. And I bear you no ill will because the Lord is here. 
said, so then, it was not you who sold me into slavery. It was not you who threw me in a pit. It was not you who put me in this untenable situation. It was not you who caused me to languish in prison. It was God. And God brought me through all of that to make me into the kind of person who would be able to administer justice for an entire nation and to be ready to save for Himself the people through whom the Messiah would come. The Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph put his hope in the Lord. By the end of the book, Jacob dies and his brothers are all afraid saying, now Joseph's going to get us. And Joseph calls to them and says, look, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. And to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. My friends, that's a Jesus moment. You take a hard chapter. Joseph is like a foreshadowing of Jesus who would be abused, who would be beaten and mocked and scorned for our sake. Who prayed in the garden, Lord, let this cup be taken from me. I don't want to turn the page. But not my will, but thine be done. Jesus endured all of that hardship and the inglory of the cross so that lives might be saved in His name. I don't want to mislead you. There are times when God calls us to bring out the pom-pom. There are times when He's about to do something amazing and we should get excited and fired up. There are also chapters that are just really, really hard. How are we called to respond Um, I'm going to highlight the word might. How might we respond? Because I think there is a journey from experiencing the hardship to the place of response that is just a mess. (laughs) I'm not going to stand up here and say, so just dare to be a Joseph. Because I'm not. I haven't been and I don't think I could be. But when I see the issues that even our community is facing. I see people struggling in their jobs, either losing them or the stress of dysfunction in their workplaces and the the unfair treatment they're receiving. They come home from work emotionally spent and abused. I see people struggling with illness. I see people struggling not just with, like, I'm sick, but also chronic disease, degenerative disease. I see marriages that are struggling that you know it's going to get harder before it gets better. I see actual suffering, like people in pain, for, for whether it's in their families or their parenting. I see loneliness in our community. And as much as a church, we want to be a place where we can dispel that. It's still present and it is still so hard to overcome. You know that there's grief in our community. There is a lot. And sometimes, the chapter we're in that's hard continues right on to the point of our own death. We don't get the Joseph moment at the end. You know, if any of you have been in the adult Sunday school class and, and studying the church in Iraq and seeing the hardship and the persecution that is going on around the world because of Jesus' name, and some of those faithful, their hard chapters were right to death. 
They don't get there, Joseph moment. So please hear me. I am not pretending this is easy. But God is telling me there is a way through. And what's the way through? Have you heard it enough yet? The Lord was with Joseph. Which means the Lord in our hardest chapters is with us. The word hope does not appear in this text in any of the 14 chapters. But we put our hope in the Lord and His sustaining presence that even in our hardest chapters when we want nothing more than to curl up on the ground and curse God and die, when we say the chapter that I'm seeing next requires so much work and effort and energy and I don't have that left in me. It is there that we need to be reminded not that we have to go and find God, but that the Lord is with us right up until that day that we will be with Him. So I don't have any tidy answers for any of you. Life is hard sometimes. But in the hardest places, we put our hope in God because the Lord is there. How's that for next chapter? We are aware that all kinds of us are in hard chapters right now. And so as we move back into a time of worship, We're going to have some people from the lead team come up and just be available up here at the front during the worship, while worship is happening. We want to invite you, if you just want someone to pray over you, we want to invite you to come to the front. You don't have to share the whole story. You don't have to share any of the story. But if you want someone else just to sit beside you and to lift you up before the Lord, to ask for healing and wholeness, to ask for the end of this chapter, that a new chapter might come, to ask for hope on your behalf. We want to invite you to take advantage. This is part of being a church family. is holding one another up. So I'm going to invite you just into a time of silence now as we prepare for that. Uh, before the courage of actually getting out of your seat and coming to the front, it takes some time with the Lord to say, Lord, is this an opportunity You're giving me this morning? Reflect on what you've heard. Reflect on Joseph's story. Of course, it doesn't directly mirror your situation one-to-one all the way through. But hopefully you've heard enough that in the hardest places, that's where you'll find the Lord's presence. Right there with us. Just take some time to silence and prayer.